Critical Transit, episode 44, featuring my interview with Aaron Antrim from Trillium Transit, based in Portland, Oregon, talking about transit and open data, how good management and use of data can improve mobility uh, and freedom in in transit, um, as well as web design, social media, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, We went kind of long, a long interview, like an hour long, um, just shy of an hour, actually, so um, but we'll be getting to that in just a moment. Uh, I'm not going to take up too much of your time because I am uh, I'm busy packing and moving and traveling and all that fun stuff. Um, I will be in Washington, D.C. next week. Um, I guess this is going to be the week of January 11th, 12th. Um, I'm going for the Transportation Camp, which is a an unconference, um, which is, I'm not entirely sure what to expect, but I think it's like a young professionals kind of conference where, you know, you sort of present topics at the event and it's a little bit more consensus built and I'm not entirely sure what to expect, but it's a one day thing on Saturday, uh, January 11th, I think it is. So I'm looking forward to that. And then right after, um, is the transportation research board conference, uh, TRB as we all know it. Um, those of you who don't know the transportation research board is part of the national Academy of sciences and funds a lot of research in transportation and this is a big annual event where people come from all over, from uh, transit agencies and transportation departments and consulting and, and everything. And it's not just transit. It's, you know, there's a lot of highway and aviation and, you know, other stuff that, you know, to be honest, I couldn't care less about. Maybe you do. Um, you know, but there's also a lot of transit, a lot of active transportation stuff, bicycling, walking, um, all those good things. So um, there's always way too many events for me to go to at the same time. Uh, but I'm going to go and, uh, you know, I always go and, and uh, meet people and learn a lot. And uh, hopefully I'll bring you some uh, some content from, from uh, not live content necessarily, but uh, some, maybe some, we'll, we'll talk to some people in the future that, that uh, I've met at TRB or something like that. Um, I still have some notes from last year that I, <laughs> that I haven't gone through yet and people I wanted to talk to. And I don't know if they still want to talk about those things. Um, we'll see. So... After that, I'm going to be in New York City, and then I'm going to be in Boston, I'll possibly be in Philly, maybe Baltimore. So we'll just kind of, um, that's over the course of the next month or so. So if you're in the East Coast, uh, hit me up, feedback at criticaltransit.com. I'd love to uh, try to connect, uh, find out more about your work. And uh, you can find uh, all about this show and my other work at criticaltransit.com. Uh, find this episode, show notes, at criticaltransit.com slash 44. And um, that's... If for now, oh yeah, one more thing. Um, uh, new feature on criticaltransit.com is um, transit tips. These are uh, quick, sort of think of almost like blog posts, if you will. Um, if you notice, I haven't really been bl- uh, blogging uh, in a long time. Um, so these are kind of like quick posts with suggestions for uh, you know new ways of thinking or doing things better or um, you know just just various various things. Um, the first one was about information. The second one was about uh, having few you know the idea that you know. You have fewer seats on the vehicle. It means you got to have more room. You know, you accommodate big things, strollers, suitcases. You know, you just leave plenty of room. Um, and it, so, just you know, stuff like that. Trying to trying to just uh, get some information out there, some suggestions, and and start a, a little bit of a conversation there. Because obviously, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not not the expert on this. I'm not the only expert on this. And if I am even an expert, that's questionable. Um, so go and check that out. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Critical Transit. I'm on LinkedIn as well if you want to subscribe there. You can subscribe to the blog or in iTunes um, to the podcast to stay informed. I subscribe to the blog. You get all the transit tip stuff. And uh, still working on redesigning the website. It's coming. Um, I'm going to stop promising that. So now to the interview with Aaron Antrim. 
we, um, like I said, we went just about an hour. Um, the quality is a little less than ideal, um, but I, I think it's, uh, it's some, some little gaps and stuff, but I, I did what I could with the editing, and I think it came out pretty good. And I, well, at some point during the, uh, during the interview, um, I didn't realize how bad it was until I started editing. Uh, at some point, my roommate came in with uh, her nephew and uh, just made a ton of noise, and, uh, and I ran and escaped to my room. Um, but even then, you know, while recording, I'm carrying the microphone and everything. And even then, uh, um, I guess you could still hear it, uh, through the closed door. Um, because he's a kid, he's like three and they make noise. So sorry about that guys. Um, but you can definitely hear it and it's a, I think it's a great, great interview and, uh, I'm going to get right to it. Um, cover a lot of important issues and talk about, uh, the role of data in, and presentation of data in expanding our freedom of mobility. So today I'm pleased to be joined by Aaron Antrim, who is the founding principal of Trillium Transit, or I think uh, now we're being known as uh, Trillium Solutions, uh, at trilliumtransit.com, and it is a uh, firm that specializes in in web design and uh, transit data uh, consulting. Uh, Aaron has a lot of experience in web design, he's also a big public transit advocate, and has experience working for public transit as well, Um, and those are two fields that don't always seem to uh, mesh, uh, but they're um, but they they do uh, connect a lot more than than you might think, and there's a lot of growing interest in it. Um, so, Aaron, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's my pleasure, and we've been trying to do this for a while, and uh, I think it's going to be a great show. It'll be really interesting for a lot of people. Um, so maybe uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, sort of what what that how public transit web design are, are linked. Um, and you know, how web design really has uh, impacts on in terms of uh, improving access mobility. We can talk kind of generally and just sort of go from there. Well, it, it, I'd like to broaden the scope of the, the connection. Um, it's more than just about web design. Um, and, it, and really is about uh, online data and wayfinding for public transportation. Um, and what I mean is, you know, it's, it's hard anymore to define the scope of what's online. Um, of course, there's what's in our web browsers, um, but there's also what we access in our, our mobile phones. Um, say, arrivals by text message, or if uh, a customer has a smartphone, um, the maps that they use in Google Maps or Apple Maps um, or, or somewhere else. So the, so the scope of the um, online space is pretty broad, and it reaches into everyday life. It reaches right down to on the street when you're actually using public transportation. Um, and, you know, I think more and more it's hard, to, it's hard to even draw the exact boundary in terms of... Um, what constitutes online and what's what's um, what's offline? Because because many people are are connected uh, so constantly. But let's talk a little bit more about what's going on within public transportation and um, and smartphones and uh, online information. Um, people. People are used to using uh, online maps. They're used to using, say, driving directions, walking directions, and now increasingly um, looking online for public transit. Um, 
And uh, what this does is, say, when I go out to a stop and, uh, or I go out on the street and I say, I want to go to downtown Portland. I live in Portland. I live in northeast Portland. Um, I don't need to plan ahead. Um, I can find directions on the go. I can have more freedom in, within the public transportation network, or I can have more freedom as a public transportation user. Um, I can make plans on the fly. So I can figure out how to I take line six um, and connect with another bus to bring me to downtown Portland. And I can even look up those arrival estimates on the go. And I don't need to even think about my return directions. Um, furthermore, um, since I'm a member of Car2Go, um, which is a, uh, a car sharing service that lets me uh, rent cars one way in Portland, um, and I think is in a few other U.S. cities, um, Austin being one. Um, I'm not sure what other U.S. cities have it. Um, since I'm a member of Car2Go, I could compare uh, taking TriMet, my local public transportation system, against the option of uh, taking Car2Go or, or driving a Car2Go and seeing if there's a car nearby. Um, there's al also Zipcar. Um, maybe I could rent a car from a neighbor um, uh, using um, relay rides or using uh, Get Around, the peer-to-peer -peer car sharing service. Now, right now, it's a little bit hard to make a comparison between all those different modes, but what I'm describing is there's this explosion of different, um, of different alternatives to, to driving one's own car. Um, and it's increasingly complicated to compare all those options. Right, and there's um, so much available there that it's, it's sort of, you know, often these things are, are sort of looked at in a vacuum. Um, but it's, right. it's about just, just knowing your mobility options. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I'm giving you a pretty long answer here. But I would say that really, so what's going on is it's mobile data or mobile information is about uh, giving people more freedom in the transportation network, because let's face it, you know, one of the great things about driving in many cases um, is that um, you have quote unquote freedom to go when you want, leave when you want, um, bring, you know, bring, bring things with you. Um, it, you're, you're working within a transportation network that's set up so that you can, you can go when and where you, you want to go. Um, whereas uh, public transportation operates on a set schedule and many people perceive there's, there's a little bit less freedom. Um, and so the, the having access to mobile information, knowing exactly what the transit network and these other modes are doing at that same time, gives you uh, more freedom to make plans on the go and to be aware of... Um, of what the, the system is doing in real time um, so that you're not as much a, a, a cog in it as, as much as you're empowered to, to make decisions on the go. So the benefits are, are freedom first and then I think um, second, um, navigating all these different options um, within this explosion um, of transportation options that exist. So I guess I would say that there's the potential for, for uh, making a very complex system more simple.
for users. That's the goal here. Whether or not that's achieved in every case, I don't know. But but that's what we're working at. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely does that we'll definitely does get that into give that you a useful answer. Yeah, 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 that's good. And um, I mean, we'll definitely get into that. I I know um, you know one one thing I've I've been thinking about is is how um, the is the the power of information and the, and the level of information as well because um, you know a lot of the 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 online data and then the trip planners and that sort of stuff sort of coming from the transit agencies it's it's very much following in in their traditional position of you know you tell me where you are right now and where you want to go right now and we'll tell you that and that's it um and sort of sort of the kind of seeing how that can be useful at times but also uh the availability of just of understanding what the system structure is that's available to you. So things like things like high frequency network, or you know, needing to know like how how are you going to get back? Um, you know, the say you say you you're going to go to to a friend's house, and you know, to to want to know that um, this bus runs every half hour until 8 p.m. and then after that, the other bus runs every 20 minutes. Will take you somewhere else. You know, just so you know that this is so you know what's what's available to you is is sort of a it's a kind of a recurring thing in in. Uh, the work that I've been doing, um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I'm happy to see uh, that kind of stuff getting out there. Um, so, so what you're describing is, you know, previously, only the transit agency was producing and disseminating information about the transit service, but now, open data is making it possible for third-party applications and developers and designers. Uh, to make other kinds of to to make data useful in some other to make data useful and interesting in other ways, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that's yeah, a, I think that's really good. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so, uh, so maybe we could talk about um, the sort of the effects of of this uh, of getting information out there. And I know we see a lot of transit agencies have seen uh, growing ridership because of that, um, and just you know coordinating between different transit systems. Um, I know in, in Portland it's, it's probably not uh, not quite as as insane, but I, in places, some places I lived, uh, like New York and San Francisco, where you have you know ten, twenty different transit agencies, and you're all they're all doing different things. You have different fare cars, you have different different schedules, and everything's just sort of. So it's um, I don't know. Maybe you want to talk about coordination. Sure. Well, let's talk about San Francisco. When did you live in San Francisco? Um, I haven't actually lived in San Francisco for like more than a couple of weeks, but I've been there a bunch okay. of times. So I'm familiar with, you know, I mean, you got AC Transit, and you got the Golden Gate, and you get up in Marin, you got the BART, you got Caltrans, you got all these, uh, San um, San Mateo, I believe. So all these places have different bus and train systems. And Right, right. Yeah, I, you know, the Bay Area is a place that I, I have often wanted to live. I feel like everyone wants to live there <laughs> at a certain point. Um, uh, but uh, the Bay Area has so so many different transit options. It's, uh, it's overwhelming. And that has only... Um, that, that overwhelming number of options has only increased recently. Um, so, um, the Bay Area has about 26 or more different transit agencies within the nine-county region. Wow. Um, and so... It's difficult sometimes to find your way across that complicated transportation network. There's the ferries, there's BART, as you said, and then there's all these local transit transit services. Um, so there is 
um, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission's 511.org um, that's a regional trip planner. Um, but increasingly, you know, many of the, the transit agencies are included in Google Maps. Um, uh, so Google Maps has a program they call Google Transit. Um, and uh, transit agencies can contribute GTFS data. That stands for General Transit Feed Specification. Um, and this is a fairly simple data format that describes uh, schedules, stop locations, route alignments, and fares. Everything that a customer needs to know to, uh, or that an application needs to know to facilitate trip planning and that a customer in the end would need to know to, to make a, a trip in that transit system. So it's possible to use Google Maps, either on your computer or on your smartphone, to navigate across the Bay Area's transit systems. So that's a start. Um, but now in the Bay Area, there's, uh, there's Lyft and Sidecar, um, which are these kind of, for lack of a better term, peer-to-peer taxi services, I guess you would say, um, or sort of crowdsourced taxis. There's, of course, Uber. Um, and I think also, interestingly, or particularly interestingly for this podcast and for our work and interests, um, there are companies called, um, there's one called BridePal, um, and uh, then there's there's another company that's similar, uh, whose name I forgot. I, I wish I had it on hand right now. And these are basically private transit services. Um, they're not the corporate shuttles. You know, the Bay Area has all these corporate shuttles that deliver Google employees down to Mountain View from the Bay Area, uh, Apple employees down to Cupertino, etc. Um, but these are... Uh, uh, private subscription-based shuttles um, uh, that that don't serve specific employers, but that anyone can can choose to use. Um, so the 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 um, it's interesting that you bring just, that up. It reminds me of yeah. um, in Detroit. There's a there's a person who started a, this Detroit bus company because the. Uh, Detroit bus system has just so many issues and it's just, I mean, buses not showing up and just horrible stuff going on in there. Uh, so somebody basically just started a bus system and he said, look, we're going to charge you, I forget if it was $3 or $5, it, you know, for a ride, but he said, you know, mm-hmm. look, he's like, the bus is going to come on time, you're going to get real-time info, you know, we're going to, so it kind of reminds me of that. Wow. Um, and does it follow the bus routes in Detroit or is it, or are they distinct routes? Um, I, I don't actually remember. I think it was just one or two routes at this point, and he only has maybe five buses. Um, uh-huh. But he's trying to grow it, and I, uh, I should see if I can try to get him on the show and talk about that. Yeah, that would be great. The, the company I was thinking of in San Francisco is called Leap, Leap Transit. Okay. Um, and they had a beta run for a while, and it followed SF Muni routes um, uh, because many SF Muni runs are very behind schedule or very full. Um, and so this was a more expensive private alternative to, to transit that offered some advantages. Of course, there's, um, uh, there's, there's, disadvantages, uh, uh, there's disadvantages to these private systems. There's advantages and disadvantages. But really what we see in San Francisco is it's, it's 
it's the Wild West. There's all kinds of, of things happening faster than anyone can, uh, can know exactly how it's all going to work out. Um, so software is very handy um, for someone who's trying to navigate um, um, all those options. And I, I um, could give a list, I should actually give a list of some of the applications that try to um, enable this multimodal trip planning. Um, let me pull that up here real quick. Yeah, um, it's really interesting because it's it's people just sort of trying to find solutions, and um, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's not it's not easy to run a transit system. So I mean, there there are certain things that are sort of you know a lot of people sort of put on the transit agency, even though I mean, there's only you know there's only so much transit agencies can do about certain things. Right. But then there's yeah. there's also other things where um, you know maybe you're a lot of transit agencies are very much sort of. Um, and um, an interview that that I did um, that will be posted before this one is um, with Scott Bogan from the Community Transportation Association of America, and we were talking about how the um, a lot of transit agencies are sort of stuck in what they've always been doing, um, and so maybe they, they may be more resistant to to make changes to routes, or, or they just get a lot of public opposition to to making changes, and so um, somebody can just come in and start their own thing and sort of. Uh, but then again, then, then you you know how many transit now you know now, do we now have thirty five different transit agencies and in, in the transit operators in in the Bay Area? Mm-hmm. But there's this kind of um, well, right? We probably have more than that. Um, but there's this kind of phenomenon where um, uh, the internet uh, the internet can can facilitate some very efficient middlemen, right? Airbnb and eBay and uh, uh, couchsurfing.org. They're all examples of uh, these websites that, um, that uh, enable marketplaces of, of individual buyers and sellers, or, or you know, in some cases, there's, um, it's free, like with couchsurfing, uh, people exchanging goods and services. And so... Uh, we can, we're seeing the same thing. Um, uh, Uber and Sidecar and Lyft are all the equivalent for transportation services. Um, but I wanted to get back to kind of what you were hinting at earlier um, with, our, with our San Francisco Bay Area example. You have this wildly complex transportation network. It's hard to make decisions on the go within it. It's also, you might want to be choosing... Uh, you might be choosing an apartment um, that you want to be uh, conveniently situated within the transportation network. And so that is also a complicated decision. And fortunately, there's a website called WalkScore that has an apartment search feature and allows you to pull in apartment listings from Craigslist and other sites and see that within the context of real commute times on the transit network and, uh, and the BART and SF Muni and AC transit lines, et cetera, um, within the Bay Area. Um, so that's an example of, um, you know, a service that a, a transit agency could probably never offer on their own. But this third-party developer is using that GTFS data that I mentioned earlier in order to, to facilitate, to, in order to make that application available. And, and you've done a lot of work to sort of to make a lot of that happen and help transit agencies with 
um, with these feeds. Um, can you talk about what um, what GTFS is and and uh, what you've been doing with it? Sure. Um, GTFS is an initialism for the general transit feed specification, and this arose in uh, in late late 2005, I believe, or sometime in 2006. It was originally the Google Transit feed specification because it was it was created by Google, um, but the spec itself is a Creative Commons license. Um, and this grew out of a collaboration between Google and TriMet here in Portland. And um, a, a woman named Bibiana McHugh, who's an IT manager at uh, at TriMet, had been doing a lot of travel. And on principle, she tried to use uh, public transportation everywhere she went the, that it was that it was available. Um, but as a frequent traveler and, and probably connoisseur of transit systems, Jeremy, um, you know that it, it's, not always, it's not always easy uh, to figure out, uh, um, it's not always easy to figure out a new place, let alone a new transit system within that place. Right. And, That's one of the things um, I've written about, actually, is just going to different places and um, I'm pretty sure I've spoken on the podcast too about um, just going to different places and, and what is it that, that new users need and uh, not just not just visitors to a place but people who are learning the system or maybe only use one route on a regular basis and now they're just trying to learn their options or want to go car free or whatever and um, just, just trying to most agencies like I'm saying are very oriented towards you know here's this is this one route or you know here's the information that you need for this one trip instead of just you know what is what are your options Right, right. Uh, you know, oftentimes an agency might kind of try and limit or corral visitors to a few rail lines that are easy to understand, and that's kind of the, the visitor's experience of, um, of that place, um, instead of having, being presented with more freedom to, to roam throughout the entire region. Um, so especially with small transit systems that didn't have trip planners, um, it, you know, Bibiana found it difficult to you have to figure out the maps and timetables, um, and and uh, figure out how to to use the transit system. As do most people. Um, in fact, I think that there, there was a University of South Florida study where they basically got strangers off the street, gave them some maps and timetables, asked them to plan hypothetical trips in the transit system. And there's a multi-step process to doing that. And if you fail at just one point, you've failed to be able to figure out how to make that trip. And about half of people um, presented with that problem were not able to, to create an itinerary to make the trip. Um, and I've, I've so, been a victim in, on several occasions of, uh, or maybe just user error, but I mean, just, uh, you know, reading the wrong day schedule or something, you know, go somewhere on yeah, the yeah. commuter rail and you read, you read the weekday schedule by accident and then, oh, now it's all of a sudden you're waiting, you know, five hours for a, for a trip or you might have missed the last one. And, and you know, this is, is, this is coming from someone who's, who's used to using transit. <laughs> yes. But we live in a country where uh, many people would have never, you know, uh, in the U.S., people might turn 70 years old and suddenly not be able to, to drive safely anymore. And for the first time in their lives, they're presented 
with uh, using public transportation. Um, so uh, the um, so maps and timetables are not something that are familiar to everyone and second nature, kind of navigating within that system. So anyway, the thought was, Bibiana's thought was, gosh, I can go anywhere, not just in the U.S., but in the world, take out a, a smartphone and get driving directions. Why is it not possible, using the same application, why is it not possible to do the same thing for public transportation? And so... That was when um, it, she actually contacted a number of different uh, online mapping companies, uh, Yahoo being one, Google being another, and discovered uh, that a guy named Chris Harrelson was developing um, public transit directions in Google Maps as part of his uh, as a 20% time project at Google. Um, so Google Transit launched with TriMet, other agencies followed, um, now there's um, probably 200 to 300 transit agencies participating within the within North America, um, and there are many, many more participating throughout the world. I think on every continent except Antarctica, um, and so it's enabled trip planning on this broad scale. It allows me to go to most major cities um, by train or air or however I'm going to get there, take out my um, smartphone and immediately be getting transit directions, find out about the transit network and be getting transit directions in uh, a format that's very familiar to me. Um, but uh, the GTFS has allowed more than that. Um, it's gone beyond trip planning, and it's been useful for uh, um, it's been useful from a planning perspective in terms of, um, for example, within the state of Oregon, ODOT is using GTFS data from about forty-two transit agencies in the state to, for the first time, get a very accurate picture of what the whole state's transit network uh, looks like. Previously, transit, um, uh, transit agencies just had that picture for their own local area, but now it's expanding to a statewide scope. Um, and then there's, there's other examples um, that I was mentioning earlier. Um, uh, you know, the walk score example in terms of how do I fit my, my life or how do I make the transit network work well for, for my life? Um, and there's, there's Magnificent.net is another example of that. I think one um, trip planning application that might be really interesting to your listeners is Rome2Rio.com. That's with a digit to Rome2Rio. Um, it's an international travel search engine is what they call it, uh, or the, what they're calling it. And it includes ground-based transit, intercity and local, uh, with air. Um, so I can get door-to-door -door directions from the Oregon coast, um, be routed to uh, ground transit to the nearest international airport, um, fly to London, and then get train schedules out to a remote rural area in the U.K., um, so there's a whole host 
of different uh, different things that are happening. So the, the work that that my company actually does related to this is we help smaller and medium-sized transit agencies prepare their GTFS data and maintain that GTFS data and then integrate it in all these applications. And it's a tremendous boon to these these small, medium-sized transit agencies because previously um, this sort of technology was very expensive. Um, and now that, say, this is part of Google Maps, it's also part of Bing, Microsoft's Bing Maps, um, uh, it's part of HopStop, which was acquired by Apple recently. Um, evidently, they may want to do something with, with public transportation by that purchase. Um, so it's, you know, it, all these different online mapping platforms have offloaded that burden for actually delivering those applications from the transit agencies. So now all they have to do is, is prepare that data, which is less expensive, which is easier to do. Mm-hmm. Is there something to be said about, I mean, just I've always thought about from a sort of, you know, a correctness standpoint of, of just having all these different private developers doing various things. And um, is there sort of a, of, a, of a danger there of having too much, um, of too many people in possibly, you know, different things and, and the transit industry has, has no control over that from an information standpoint, uh, but also just, I mean, the inefficiency of having all these different people doing all these different things. Um, well, there's several different questions there. Um, <laughs> I'm good at that. So, <laughs> the the first question, the first question is, you know, what is the danger of um, what might be the danger to the the transit industries, sort of, um, or not sort of, but depending on a different unpaid or not directly paid, rather, uh, third-party developers to be delivering information to their customers. Um, And I would say, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer this. Um, So far, I don't think the industry has seen drawbacks to that approach. Um, However, theoretically, um, I can see... I can see potential drawbacks. Um, I know, I'll, I'll speak with, to the TriMet example, which I'm familiar with here in my hometown. Uh, even as they've embraced third-party applications, they've continued to, uh, um, to you know, think very carefully and make real investments in their own website and in their own trip planner. They have a great, um, actually, industry-leading multimodal trip planner at maps.trimet.org um, and they can be much more in, it shows real time information it shows their, their network their transit network comprehensively it also crucially plans um, bike to transit trips so if you want to ride your bike to a light rail station and then take your bike on the, on the maxis our, our light rail here um, or do the same with a bus you can do that so it offers functionality that Google Maps and the other third party applications don't offer and um, so there's almost you know I, it's almost like there's a bit of a balance of power there in terms of um, choice is good for customers um, and so smart transit agencies I think recognize that um, 
customers are, are choosing uh, what applications work well for them. But that, to a certain extent, it's useful for the transit agency, as you say, to uh, maintain a bit of control over their own destiny um, and, uh, uh, and participate somewhat in setting standards and expectations about what information um, need, customers need to see and, and how it should be presented to customers. But, but having a, a, a light touch there. Um, so, so that would be, my, my answer is, we haven't seen, to your question, is we haven't seen, or I haven't perceived any serious drawback of kind of giving up that control. And that's one of the fears that a lot of, of many transit agencies have been reluctant to release their data, and this is one of their fears. We haven't seen those kinds of drawbacks. Um, however, I think um, forward-thinking transit agencies are, are aware that, you know, they don't want to be, um, they don't want to depend completely on these third-party developers um, for something as core as, as disseminating their service information. That just needs to be one more option. Um, in terms of your question of, well, isn't it inefficient to have all these, all these different smartphone apps that are really just, just the same thing, um, looking up uh, schedule information and looking up arrival information and, and whatnot? Um, I would say no. It's 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 not necessarily inefficient, or um, or maybe it's just necessarily there's some necessary inefficiency um, there. You know, innovation is pretty expensive, um, and one of the reasons innovation is expensive is you have to try a lot of different ideas. It's like digging for gold. Um, you might have to to uh, dig in a lot of different places before you find the ideas um, uh, that, that really work. And so what opening up this market has done is allowed an explosion of innovation. You know, who would have thought of, of the, or implemented the walk score concept before or the application called INAP that wakes you up when it's time to, to get off the bus um, or just, you know, reminds you of the world outside the book that you're reading or, or, or whatever. Um, there's all these different little niche applications, some of which work very well, others either don't work well or haven't found a market. But the point is uh, this new ecosystem has allowed that, all those ideas to be tried has allowed this this evolutionary process to unfold mm -hmm. um, and uh, and also with the online space um, you know there's a number of open source projects like open trip planner that's the application behind trimet's uh, multimodal trip planner um, and so for the first time we've seen more and more open source development within the transit space and that really serves the purpose of, of efficiency and allocating, um, you know, allowing individual developers to, um, and transit agencies to contribute to this greater common good in terms of developing useful software. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's really, I, I like that. And uh, yeah, just we can, we can all work together. And as long as there's people like us who are passionate about transit and interested in improving things for, for other people, because it is a public service, you know, so it's mm-hmm. it's not like you're just benefiting a corporation's bottom line. I mean, you're, you're making a, a transportation, you're, you're improving mobility for people, which I think is a, you know, it's a good public benefit. And I, I uh, you know, salute the people who are, are doing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sort of along those lines, um, um, you, you moderated uh, a panel in the spring, uh, the Oregon Active Transportation Summary, uh, talking about, um, and, and I'm glad to see that um, active transportation and livable streets people are starting to pay more attention to public transit and sort of these things all work together. Um, and you moderated a panel um, talking about how the, the network is, is the sum of its parts. Um, which I think you it's know greater than some of it. So greater, than, yes. Project. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think that's um, really important because um, you know we're talking here about about coordination, and a lot of transit agencies just sort of do their own thing. Um, what are? Do you have thoughts on what transit agencies um, can and, and should do, and maybe, maybe are doing to sort of work together and improve these these coordination issues, often between like regional transit and local transit and that sort of thing. Uh, okay, so in terms of coordinating intercity transit with that's connecting local transit, in terms of um, in terms of local transit um, being coordinated with the the street infrastructure. Um, sure, just just transit at all levels. You know, whether it be you know uh-huh. regional rural routes or or two cities. You know, I mean, San Francisco. You know, you got you got Muni and you got AC transit. I mean, just any any kind of thing where we're working together. I mean, my own particular focus area, of course, is is on data. Um, and so I think that's where I should respond. There's so much to be done in terms of coordination at, at all different levels. Um, it, here, here in Oregon, um, I mentioned that ODOT, that's our Oregon Department of Transportation, is using... Um, is is uh, using GTFS data for the first time to have a really close look at the way the state transit network is set up. Um, so answering questions like how well coordinated are connecting intercity services, how well coordinated are the schedules between those intercity services and the the, the local or regional. Um, um, uh, bus services that they they connect with. Intercity services can be buses or trains. Um, And so that's something that's occurring at at a a state level because often um, the state DOTs exercise a fair amount of control over the the intercity service within that state. Um, There's there's a number of programs um, through which intercity uh, public transportation is funded. The the probably most common federal program is the fifty three eleven F program um, that provides essential uh, sub provides subsidy for essential uh, uh, you know sort of lifeline service to remote rural areas, um, and and that's that's uh, allocated and managed through the state DOTs. There's a number of other, other programs there. Um, so, so that would be one example. In terms of um, local transit agencies, 
that are coordinating with each other. I think, again, that the, the GTFS data potentially makes it possible to have some more awareness of, um, of uh, you know, neighboring agencies' plans and current operations. Of course, in many cases, you just don't need... Uh, it's not necessarily a technical problem um, that you need fancy software to solve. It's more just a matter of uh, talking uh, and communicating well, and also having um, also having uh, impetus to do that. You know, in the if you if you fire up the application and you use it to find a bus, then once you're on board the bus, it's actually using your phone to locate that bus and and report arrival estimates to other customers. It's also possible to um, add comments about the the fullness or the capacity of the bus and its uh, its cleanliness and whatnot. Um, but it requires a whole lot of users to actually make that happen. So that's one of these kind of you know parts of exciting parts of experimental chaos that we get to see. Um, um, but but those are a few examples of how um, uh, real time information I guess is being used operationally um, as opposed to uh, or or to to optimize the the transit system, if you will. Before we wrap up, I want to get to um, social media, but um, quickly, maybe we could or or not, um, I suppose. Um, I wanted to uh, hear about what um, is involved in in building a good transit website because you do a lot of that, and uh, you know what. Um, so, transit agency is coming to you looking for uh, advice on on their uh, you know their online uh, presence. Let's say, um, what do you start with? I advocate. Take a simple approach. Um, and the, the goal of a transit website is make the service easier to understand and use, first of all. Um, so uh, some great ways to do that are with an interactive map. Um, the, the maps should be the heart of your, <coughs> your uh, transit information and your transit website, and your, your transit marketing program. Um, and we've seen this great evolution of the map over time. Um, now we have zoomable interactive maps where you can turn on and off different layers, zoom into particular areas, have a trip planner be one click away, um, for example. Um, and... Um, I would I would say you know some some transit agencies become very um, sometimes transit agencies or, or, or consultants who work for transit agencies become very interested in kind of a traditional marketing approach in terms of how do we make this brand and this service attractive um, it, from from an aesthetic sense and a branding sense um, and and a marketing sense. Um, and I think it's important, you know, we don't want, we don't want transit to be some sort of a, a ghetto that is uh, devoid of beauty, that, um, that is just purely utilitarian. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, so, so I'm not saying that that's unimportant, but I say that uh, a good transit website should put function first um, and, and aesthetics should still be a consideration. 
um, but but a secondary consideration. And um, so one one suggestion I've given to to transit agencies that are thinking about their current websites is look at your most common uh, needs, your, your users' most common um, paths through the website. You know, is it, it's often to get to maps and schedules. Count the number of clicks. How, um, and, and look at, like, how much information is dedicated to that essential information just on the homepage. And with some of our, our um, websites for small transit agencies, like Mendocino Transit Authority, um, the first thing you see is a schematic map of the system and with, with all the cities served, uh, and you can click part of the map and go right to the map and schedule. So there's only one click, and about half of the, the homepage is dedicated to that map. Um, so that would be an example of, of uh, a very functional approach. How do people use that transit system you know how is the information most effectively presented uh, that core service information and secondarily you know what is the identity of that place and the brand of that transit system and how is how, how is that expressed um and do you have any kind of particular questions uh more for me in terms of thinking about information design and, and marketing for transit um, I mean, not that um, we want to, you know, not unless we want to keep going for a really long time. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll talk more specifically about some of that in uh, in the future. Um, but before before um, you stop me because we're going over time, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, social media. I know you uh, have posted recently, and uh, and you also you led a session at uh, transportation camp uh, this spring uh, called "Social Media Is BS." Um, so it's a pretty kind of a provocative thing, and it's not really what you hear from transit agencies. But I want to hear your thoughts on that. Right. Okay. Um, so I borrowed that title from a, um, a. I didn't. I didn't come up with that on my own. I borrowed it from uh, someone. I think his name is um, Jeremy Mendelson. I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> he. Um, it's close. It's something Is similar it? to that. Yeah. I've, uh, okay. I'll look Sorry. It up. No, no. Um, uh, no, seriously, I think his last name is Mendelssohn. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it might be because it's very rare that I find people with the same last name as me and I do, uh, you know, every once in a while. So I remember that kind okay, of thing. Okay, I have to find out real quick. His name is B.J. Mendelssohn. I don't know what that, that stands for. Um, Okay, so anyway, I borrowed it. You can edit that whole part out. Um, <laughs> um, I borrowed that from a book um, called Social Media is BS. Um, and this guy basically described how um, a lot of marketers are making a whole bunch of money billing out thousands of dollars for basically setting up Twitter feeds for people and... Uh, jumping around and telling them about how social media is revolutionizing communication, marketing, and business. Um, and so to a certain extent, I've seen... Um, so to a certain extent, I do believe that some social media is BS. Um, 
or some social media marketing rather programs are, are, are BS. Um, and that when something new and shiny comes along, there tends to be uh, sometimes a hype bubble around it. And so that's my general observation. I think the more particular observation that I've seen uh, for transit agencies is where transit agencies say release their service alerts through Twitter or Facebook. And that's not an ideal way to publish your service alerts because you're just blasting people with this fire hose of information. Whereas, you know, if I want, um, if I'm interested in service alerts for, say, a big metropolitan system or even a small, smaller system, I want service alerts that pertain to me and the routes that I use most often. Um, or the, um, or the, the routes, uh, in the, and stops in the particular trip that I'm making right then and there. Um, so I think, right. Unless you're a transit geek like us, like, like me, you know, you don't want to, you don't need to hear about what's going on in the whole system. You know, I want to hear about every little, you know, every little shuttle bus operation, but you know, most people aren't too interested right, in that. Right. Um, and and so, I, you know, I think there's this appeal in terms of, okay, you know, um, people know that, that uh, Facebook and Twitter are these, these growing content distribution platforms. There's something going on there. There's also this appeal of being able to kind of offload all that infrastructural burden onto this other free service. But um, there's aspects of that that I think, you know, are, are really missing the mark. The, the better practice for publishing service alerts <clears throat> would be to put them in an appropriate place in the website, say on next to the timetable that they pertain to, and also publishing data that's called GTFS real-time so that those alerts appear where appropriate in the various third-party applications like Google Maps so that when someone's planning their trip, they, they see any uh, alerts that are related to that. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's other purposes of, of social media for transportation. Um, BART has used, uh, Twitter very effectively to enhance their brand to, um, uh, you know, they have tens of thousands of Twitter followers and they'll, um, they'll repost these these bits of kind of slice of life of the Bay Area, a drawing that someone did on their BART commute of of an anonymous passenger, um, a little comment um, about some current event in the Bay Area, et cetera, you know, photos, whatnot. Um, it, BART, of course, is a, is a multi-billion dollar agency. And they're also um, in the San Francisco Bay Area where Twitter is based and where, you, you know, uh, Everyone has three iPhones. Um, so it's a little bit, or not everyone, but, but you know what I'm saying. There's this high saturation of tech. Um, and so they're in a really ideal place to do that kind of marketing and outreach. And um, I just, I, um, I, yeah, I caution transit agencies against, uh, who are in that, who are less so in that position, um, 
to make that kind of investment because they're, they're not going to see the, the same benefits that, say, BART, BART might see. And instead, I see so many transit agencies that have a lot to work of do a lot of work to do on the most basic aspects of communicating about their service and developing like real face-to-face partnerships in their community, and that would be um, you know implementing a multimodal trip planner, creating and disseminating GTFS data, uh, adding real-time arrival information and GTFS real-time. So uh, it's not that I, I think it's unimportant, but I think that there are other, and oftentimes other, tremendously much more beneficial investments that can be made. And I say this as someone who's, you know, uh, late 20s, um, techie uh, urban dweller, um, someone who really would be kind of the ideal market for this social media marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how a lot of the transit agencies just see that as like, oh, this is this is what the young people do these days. You know, we gotta, you know, we gotta get on the Twitter machine. That you know, a lot of people don't don't really, you know, pe- especially people who are running transit agencies were were working in offices long before uh, Facebook and Twitter became things. So, um, right, it's like, oh, people use people use Facebook and Twitter. We don't understand it exactly, but somehow we should slap a Facebook logo on our website, and you know you're basically just they're basically just marketing facebook at that point <laughs> yeah so plus it's like it's controlled by a private corporation and you know i mean what are they doing with your with your data and you know and what if uh, you build all this following and all of a sudden they they close or, or right i mean i think that's you know <clears throat> that's something to be aware of it's something that i'm less concerned with um because i think the there will always be an incentive for Facebook and Twitter to like, um, they, they have to have a certain amount of currency with their, their users, right. And all their different partners. Um, but, but I think that is a good point in terms of, um, you know, you're not, your, your relationship, your ability to use, uh, to use content, contacts that you get through Facebook and Twitter as a transit agency or any, any company or organization participating on a social network is less. You don't have access to people's email address. You, you only have as much access as that platform gives you. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can, it's harder to follow up with people. And, and um, I, think, I think a lot of what I see on Twitter and Facebook from transit agencies is, is people using it to submit a complaint. And, uh, you know, and then they'll go back. The transit agency will go back and say, oh, you know, can you give us the bus number or whatever. And it's just there's a lot of that back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, actually, I, I cite that as one of um, the primary opportunities and uses um, uh, because, um, because the, the medium enforces this nice brevity. And, right, right. Yeah. Um, so you can't, you get less random. Yeah, exactly. And I actually, <laughs> I mean, I, I recommend it basically almost entirely on personal experience. I know some transit agencies have done this, but I, I recommend it almost entirely based on personal experience because I, um, I fly a lot for work. And my, my two preferred airlines are Alaska Airlines, which is their network is very Northwest based, um, and Delta Airlines. Um, and Delta in particular does a fantastic job. They, they have a Twitter account called Delta Assist. And I never need to wait on hold on the phone or anything. 
I can just ask questions um, in 160 characters or less um, or make requests that, you know, this can my air miles number be added to, you know, this, this ticket confirmation. And it's, it's done in five minutes. Um, and I think it's super efficient for on their side because, because they can, they can react to these questions so quickly and it's fantastic for me. Um, and so I could see that kind of customer service aspect being really useful for a transit agency that, that wants to be able to address customer questions and complaints really quickly and efficiently and give, give people that experience. Um, and I know at least a few transit agencies have experimented with that. Cool. Um, so yeah, so we've uh, probably gone way over time. So, um, but at, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? I mean, I know we can, we can always uh, speak again. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to bring up? To the question of social media in particular, um, I do have that blog post, not the one about the, the summary of the social media's BS session, um, but the, um, the summary of social media's real uses that I, I, um, you know, I gave a, a survey of kind of all the different espoused uses of social media and um, some examples of each and the, the strengths and also, also the pitfalls. Um, so, um, you know, I'll send you that link afterwards and you can uh, include that if you, if you wish, if you use that segment. Great, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like to include things in the show notes so that people can, uh, can refer to them. Right. Um, the, the other thing is that if your listeners find um, this topic uh, of interest in terms of um, online data and, and crowdsourced, um, uh, crowdsourced efforts and emerging transit applications, open source software, um, there are these really great events called transportation camps. Um, they're unconferences, so that means that participants bring all the content and what they want to talk about, the projects they're working on, um, and organize sessions over the course of a day or a few days um, to really um, show off what they've done and have, have discussions about what they're thinking on and, and hopefully create some new collaborations. Um, so every year there's a transportation camp D.C., and that will happen again this year in January. Upcoming in Portland, um, I believe on the 7th and 8th, or maybe the 8th and 9th, we're going to have a transportation camp PDX. And um, uh, there's been transportation camps in Atlanta, in San Francisco, and uh, uh, I think one in Canada as well. So they've been, they've been all over. And those might be events that, that your listeners would find interesting. I have always found them very inspiring. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to actually go to one. Um, I, I wasn't able to get to the one in, uh, in DC in, in uh, this past January, but, um, mm-hmm. but I've been, you know, and it's always, it's always right next to that, um, the TRB conference, which is a big, it is. Um, yeah. So that's, that's always a, a good event too. And um, this sounds like it'd be a, a lot more fun. Um, so, I, but anybody who listens to a public transit podcast should probably be interested in transportation camp. Yeah. So, uh, well, maybe I'll see you in January. That sounds good. Yeah, maybe I'll see you there. And um, if not, uh, whenever I get out to Portland, I will. I will make it sometime. I promise. 
Good. So. I'll look forward to that. Cool. Well, thanks for thanks for doing this, and uh, you can find out more. People can find out more about Aaron and his work at TrilliumTransit.com, and I'll put links to all that on the uh, on the show notes. Okay. Terrific. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thanks again to Aaron Antrim for uh, that interview, uh, for discussing transit with me and transit and data and a bunch of other stuff, um, as you heard, uh, with me for about an hour. Aaron is at TrilliumTransit.com, and I'll put links to that and uh, one of his posts and, and uh, I think that he sent me uh, on the website, as well as uh, some, of the, some of the links that we mentioned during the show. And, uh, and that book that was written by, uh, no, uh, not yours truly, uh, but uh, B.J. Mendelssohn. Um, Maybe the J stands for Jeremy, but it's not me, I promise. Um, even though I, I think I agree with his point about social media. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. And uh, you can find the links online again at criticaltransit.com slash 44. Um, and again, I'll be at uh, the TRB conference this, this coming week in Washington, D.C. in the week of January 11th. And so, um, yeah, if you're in the East Coast um, for the next, you know, in, anytime in January, February, really, um, hit me up and uh, we'll see if we can if we can connect uh, find out more about the work that you're doing and uh, yeah so transportation camp the uh, the same transportation camp that Aaron mentioned in the interview uh, that's where I'm going to be uh, as you can tell we recorded this a few, uh, couple months ago maybe two months ago so um, I was still thinking of the last TRB and, oh yeah I still have to get to all that that stuff that I wrote down from there so um, but it's it's so much fun I'm also going to be doing some epic transit journeys. I'm excited to be uh, riding some trains and buses. And uh, so going from, uh, if you go to epictransitjourneys.com, somebody has put together an itinerary to go from uh, Washington, D.C. to New York uh, and from New York to Boston. I'm going to try to do one or both of those uh, as well as some others. I'm going to try uh, possibly going to New York to Boston via those ferries that go from Long Island to Connecticut. And uh, we'll see see how that works out. Um but you're just riding lots of buses and trains. So if you have suggestions for transit adventures in the East Coast, um, please, uh, especially in the Northeast, please uh, let me know. Feedback at criticaltransit.com. And uh, also, uh, you can follow me on, uh, as, as well as criticaltransit.com, uh, follow me on uh, Twitter and Facebook at Critical Transit. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I'm, I'm traveling. Um, and so it's not much to going on that I'm going to talk about right now. So um, have a great week, and uh, hopefully I'll see you at uh, TRB or somewhere else in your future. And let me know. Send me your thoughts, comments, suggestions, and uh, on the website or feedback at criticaltransit.com. You can uh, follow, um, yeah, follow me. Uh, subscribe to the blog to get updates on uh, new posts, including the transit tips feature. Um, and uh, you can subscribe in iTunes or your favorite uh, way to get podcasts so that you're always notified of new episodes. They're about once a week these days. I'm doing pretty well on that. And um, that's, that's what I got to say. All right, have a good week, and I will talk to you soon.